But God is good. If you've got your Bible, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We are going to be beginning in verse 14. We're going to move through verse 22. Let me pray while you're turning there. We'll get started. Father in heaven, I, it's overwhelming sometimes. It's just overwhelming how good you are. Lord God, and any man or woman in this room can say that. Whether they're married or single, whether they're in good health or whether they're, they're suffering from health issues. Father, in the highs and in the lows, on the mountains and in the valleys, you are good to us. We, we can, can't imagine being without you, being apart from you. Something that every Christian I meet says is I don't know how others do it without the Lord. I don't know how others walk through this world without knowing you, Jesus. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for everything you're doing in us, for us, and through us. We love you and we honor you this morning. It's in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Verse 14, therefore. Now, I hadn't got to use this joke in a while. And it's not really a joke, but uh, some of you, you're going to hear it for the first time. And I want you to know. When I was in seminary, there was a New Testament Pauline scholar from Africa named Dr. Ayu Arawuya. He's one of the only guys from outside our church that I've ever allowed to preach to uh, our, uh, our church family. My dad hasn't even preached here, which is kind of weird. But Dr. Ayu Arawuya, I loved his class. I took Ephesians with him, and oh, I learned so much. So, so we had him speak, but in, in that deep, rich African accent that he had, he would always say, therefore, when you see therefore, I mean, he talked like Mufasa, you know? <laughs> when you see therefore, you must ask, what is it there for? <laughs> and so for context this morning, let's remember why this there is here, why this therefore is there for. Uh, Paul has just given warnings. Now remember, put up that first slide that kind of, uh, the big idea from chapter 8 through today is, can we eat food offered to idols? And it, it's, a, it's a yes and no. It's situational for Paul. There's, there's opportunities and times where you can, but there's opportunities and times when you can't. Put up that decision tree for me really quick, uh, Patricia. Look at this first one. How do we make decisions? The first question we ask ourselves is, does the Bible allow it? In these warnings from chapter 10, this therefore is therefore building upon these four things that are no's. Not everything is a conscience issue. Some things are flat. You, man, I tell you what, I was talking to one of our elders this past week. And I, I'm just some terrible, terrible news. With someone who I've known for a long time, someone I love, someone I've been in ministry with. At one time, this guy was a pastor. He's married, and, and all of a sudden, he's, he's, not, he's not in love with his wife. He's not really married in his heart anymore, so it's okay for him to, to leave his wife. Look, there are some things that are not conscience issues. 
So when our elder who he was talking to just looked at him and said, hey man, I'm, I'm happy to sit down and talk with you about your sin. Because <laughs> some things we just shouldn't do. Idolatry is not a questionable issue. It's not a matter of conscience. It's a flat out, no, don't do this. Sexual immorality, which covers everything. The word porneia covers adultery, covers fornication, covers cohabitation, covers homosexuality, covers bestiality, covers any, anything else. It's the junk drawer term for anything outside of a man and a woman coming together in a committed lifelong relationship that is a covenant called marriage. It's not, a, it's not a matter of conscience. It's just flat out, no. And, and let me tell you what makes a good marriage. Knowing that there's not an out. Knowing that there's not a back door. Knowing. This is what I want to tell everybody who for whatever reason wants to, to leave a church. Things are so much better when you're committed to a place. Because when you're committed, you have to work things out. And that's what good marriages do. Good marriages learn to work things out instead of taking the easy way and just finding something new, something shiny, or something that... Don't we all know, though, we take our problems from one relationship to the next, and it's the same old thing over and over and over. That's what happens when we do it our way. Sexual immorality is a no-go. It's not a matter of conscience. It's just no. Testing God, questioning his will. Is it hotter in here this morning? <laughs> Are you guys cold? I feel like it's 95 degrees in here. <laughs> I was like, Scott Valiani's not here. The icicles aren't off the ceiling. Qu questioning God. Right? This, have you ever thought about that? I mean, this is one of the warnings. It, people in Israel didn't make it. Their bodies strewn out across the desert. Why? Because in their mind, they allowed the thought to cement in like inception. They allowed that splinter of doubt into their mind that controlled all their thinking. And that splinter of thought is, God's not really good. God brought us out here to die. He doesn't have a plan. He doesn't have an inheritance. He doesn't have a land flowing with milk and honey. To question God, to test him. It's not a matter of conscience. It's a flat out, no, don't do it. And to grumble, as some of them did. They would have starved, but God provided manna. But the manna wasn't a filet mignon, so what did they do? They grumbled about the leeks and the onions and the vegetables that they had in Egypt. Grumbling is not a matter of conscience. If you get those frown lines on your face, you can't hide them. <laughs> so let's prevent, everybody young in the room, listen to me. Let's prevent the grumble lines. Somebody sitting here with wrinkles going, I'm not a grumbler. And now you have, <laughs> not everybody with wrinkles is a grumbler. But you can tell them, you can tell, just like a smoker, you can tell, you know. <laughs> 
I'm just, man, I'm in rare sorts this morning. It's not a matter of conscience. These are flat out, no, therefore, but God, when these temptations to question him, to test him, to grumble against him, to, to do something that our flesh may be screaming to do, but we know is wrong, to, to set up other things, to take God off the throne of our hearts and put something else there. With those temptations, which are common to man, if you're sitting in this room going, man, I deal with this stuff all the time, it means you're normal. All, in all these temptations, God is able to build you up and to, to create an exodus for you. To bring you out of that temptation as we trust him, lean on him, pray to him, seek his face. He provides an exodus, an escape from those temptations. Therefore, now we move into my beloved Paul loves these people. He loves this church. The way that many in this room love this church. So many. Now some people were not their flavor. And that's okay. But for the people who come in and, and you love. This is how Paul loves these people. He's not like, all right, you filthy sinners, get it together. He said, therefore, man, take these warnings seriously, knowing that God will protect his people and provide a way of escape, just like he did at the Red Sea with the uh, Pharaoh's army breathing down their back. God parts the waters. He parts the waters for us too today. Therefore, my beloved, we don't have to go home tonight wringing our hands, wondering if when temptation comes, we're saved or not. God provides for his people. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to sensible people. Here, here Paul, Paul's bringing it close. Here's what he's saying. Think about what I'm saying here. I mean, what is idolatry? At bare, you know, uh, Augustine said, pride is the mother of all sins. But what is pride other than the worship of self? All sin stems from a heart that wants something other than God and what God says and what God wants. Paul says, flee idolatry. Stop building other gods in your heart to worship. Think about this. Think about how much this makes sense. Again, the original question is, can we eat? I put up that first slide again. Can we eat meat offered to idols? Now look what he says uh, in, we're, we're, gonna, we're in number three. Do not eat meat sacrificed to idols in an idol's temple as part of the pagan religious ritual, for to do so would participate in demon worship. The answer, this is not a questionable issue. In the pagan temple, during a pagan service, the answer to can we eat the meat is flat out no. Under no circumstance, at any time, in any way, is this acceptable. Why? Let me speak since I'm talking to sensible people, Paul says. Think about this. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? What is he talking about? He's talking about the sacrament of the Lord's 
table, the Lord's Supper, communion, the Eucharist, which we are going to practice today. The cup of blessing. Think with me, he says, Corinthian church. Because Why? Because some are saying, and they're not really idols, it's not a big deal, it's just food. It can be just food at your house. It can be just food at somebody else's house. It can be just food at a wedding or another social gathering. But in a pagan temple where a pagan god is being worshipped, it's not just nothing, it's something. And here's why. Isn't it true? The cup of blessing that we bless, representing the, the blood of our Lord Jesus, is it not a, underline this, participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Now, we're not going to do a deep dive and unpack all of this this morning. And those of you who have studied 1 Corinthians before know why. When we get to chapter 11, we're going to do a deep, deep dive into the significance of participating in the body and blood of our Lord Jesus. Almost a whole chapter of 11 is concerning Communion, the Lord's table. But what I want to share with you this morning, look at that word participation. Here's Paul's first argument in this logical uh, precedence for why we should not eat meat in a pagan's temple. Because when we're together as the church, celebrating the body and blood, it's not just eating and drinking. Some of the people in the Corinthian church, it's just meat. We're just eating. We're just drinking. It's no big deal. Well, is it no big deal when we're at church together? Eat it, participating in the body and the blood of our Lord Jesus. Is that no big deal? No, that's a big deal. That word participation comes from the word koinonia, which if you've been a Christian for five minutes, you've heard that word. You probably got a poster with it at your house somewhere. Acts 2.42, right? The, the, the fellowship of God's people together. There is a sharing and a participation in Christ. We've been made. Praise God. We're Americans this morning. We still live in the greatest country on planet Earth at this time. Although some people are trying to put it down the sinkhole quick. Still, we're a great country. Thousands of people from Mexico are not wrong to do everything they can to get here, amen? Aren't you so sick of the pundits telling us how bad we are as a country when thousands of people are like, if, as soon as they step onto American soil, their lives automatically improve. Opportunities that they don't have where they're coming for. That's why they come here. We're blessed to be American. We're blessed to have our families but there's something special about this new humanity that God has made us into. We are citizens of a great country. But there's another citizenship we've now been given through the body and blood of our Lord Jesus that makes us a new people. The people of God from every nation, from every tribe, from everywhere. One new person in Christ. When we sit down for communion, we are in this sharing, in this fellowship with the body and the blood of our Savior. The body, 
When we take this bread and we put it in our mouths, we're not just eating and chewing and swallowing. We are remembering. And in remembering, worshiping. And in worshiping, participating in the perfect life of Jesus Christ. He did what we could not, what we did not. All of us have sinned. We don't deserve to be here. But when we come together and we chew that perfect flesh of Christ, we are participating in his perfect life, his perfection imputed to us. And when we drink that cup, we're remembering and we're worshiping and we're participating in his shed blood. Listen to me, church. Part of the nonsense that has come out of the prosperity gospel and liberation theology and all the nonsense that's out there. Just, every time I hear somebody who claims to be a Christian proclaim heresy, heresy, from the third century heresy. And you got a crowd of thousands of people going, oh, praise God. You think it can't get any worse, but then some new group comes along and it's worse. I have never seen the fundamental. Now, I've seen a lot of things the Bible says people come against. But the very foundational principle of Christianity, which makes us different from every other religion in the world, every other religion, if you do enough good, you might be acceptable unto God when you die. It's works-based. Every other religion on planet Earth, the gospel of Christ Jesus is unique in that we're sinners. We can't save ourselves. So God did something on our behalf. He came all the way to us. He lived the perfect life. He never sinned. And then he died in our penal substitutionary atonement. There's a penalty for sin. We're underneath that penalty. We deserve that penalty. But God comes, lives how we have not. So he doesn't deserve it. So then he steps in, substitutes himself. Steps in and takes our punishment for us. Making us clean, pure, and holy once more. This is what we participate in during communion. And no matter, I can't believe every time I go to Barnes & Noble, there's a new bestseller on why penal substitutionary atonement is not really a part of Christianity. We don't need it. Jesus is just exemplar. He's not victor. He's, He's just an example of how we should live our lives in order to please God. Well, he is an example of how to live a life, but he's also Savior. He's also Lord. This is what communion's about, because we leak and we forget when we chew that bread. We're participating in this perfect life. When we drink that juice, we're participating in the blood he shed so that we could be here so that we could experience the life of the church and the power of the Holy Spirit and his presence among us. Praise God. If it's true, I'm talking to sensible people. If it's true during communion that the bread and the blood is not just eating and it's not, it's not, uh, it's not nothing. If it's something in communion, then he moves on to his second point. Verse 18. Consider the people of Israel. 
are not those who eat the sacrifices, participants in the altar. Think about God's people, Israel. If it's true in the church in communion, and also in Israel, when people sinned, what did they have to do? They had to go, they had to pick whatever uh, uh, fruit or vegetable or whatever animal and take to the altar and sacrifice that animal. And part of the sacrifice was they had to eat a little piece once the the animal was killed, once the the meat was uh, cooked on the altar. They had to participate. They had to take some of it. They had to eat it. The priest would eat it. Uh, The people would eat of, I mean, the Passover itself. They went out to find, they didn't just, they didn't get the sick little lamb over in the corner. They chose the best lamb. And then what did they do? They killed it and they participated. They partook of the life of that lamb. So if it's true, it's not just eating for no reason. It's worship. It's participation in the sacrifice. If it's true for Christians during communion. And if it's true for Israel. In this, during the sacrificial system. Ding, ding, ding. Wouldn't it be true in a pagan temple eating food from a pagan altar? It's not just nothing. So what is it? Let's move. So consider the people of Israel. Verse 19. What do I imply then? What's the point I'm trying to make? Don't you love how logical Paul is? He sets them up. I know you're sensible people. I know you can think logically. (laughs) If if what you're saying is not true during communion, and if it's not true for Israel in the Old Testament sacrificial period, how can it be all of a sudden true in the pagan temple? What do I imply then? That food offered to idols is anything? Or that an idol is anything? Now remember, Paul has already made... Paul has already confirmed, of course, idols are nothing. Of course, there's no real power in the statue, in the stone, in the wood, in the ideology behind it. Look at uh, chapter 8, verse 4. Paul's already conceded this point. Therefore, as to to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence and that there, there is no God but one. So Paul says if it's true for Christians, if it's true for Israel, how is it not true in the pagan temple, even though the idol really is nothing, but there is something happening in that pagan temple, at that pagan altar, with that pagan meat used in that process. Even though the idol is nothing, there's still something happening. What is happening? I got 20 minutes. Hear me. Some of you aren't going to like it. And just know this is not my message This is the message that comes from God. It's his word and his word is smarter than me and his word is smarter than you. And I have chosen to live my life based off his word and I'm not sorry. I haven't been sorry one day since I was 21 years old. He saved me. I turned to his word. I've not been perfect, but I've been repentant and I keep coming back to his word. And my God, he has blessed me. And he will bless you. So what is it? It's what's happening in our world right now. It's everywhere. See with true spiritual eyes what is going on in our world. The hostile takeover of the alphabet community. 
the ridiculous nonsense of bureaucrats who have never put their hands in the ground to start anything and try to make it work, but they got all the answers. What's really happening? As people worship the idols they've set up for themselves. Well, idols aren't anything, but something's happening. What's happening? What is the participation that is occurring in communion? It's with the body and blood of Christ. With Israel, it was in the, the sin offering. Everywhere else in the secular world, it's something else. What is it? Verse 20. No, I imply that what pagans sacrifice, they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. This is not just a matter of opinions. This is not just, well, I see it this way and I see it that way. I vote this way or I vote that way. Anything, whether you're a Republican or a Democrat, anything that sets itself against God's word has one origination and it's from the influence and mouth of a demon who has rebelled along with Lucifer against God and presented to humanity another narrative to follow. And what do you know? That narrative is do whatever you want. What, fe- what makes you feel good? Do that. Demons. You got you to gotta ask yourself, just like I want to ask this former pastor who all of a sudden he's preached marriage his whole life, but all of a sudden, ah, it doesn't really matter anymore. It's a matter of opinion. Where did that come from? It doesn't come from here. So where does it come from? That thought process. Ah, marriage isn't that big of a deal. I'll just try again. Where does it come from? It comes from a demon. Eternally set. Against Yahweh God. Look at Ephesians chapter 2 quickly. I'm going the wrong way in my Bible. This is so important. You got to know. Because how does that temptation work in our hearts and in our heads? Ah, oh, it's not that big of a deal. Listen, there's, there's something that Christians never do. They never excuse sin. It doesn't matter how minor you might think the sin is. You know, if you're out with the boys and, and you have one too many drinks, the Bible says drunkenness is sin. So, but what do we do? We might come home and say, ah, it's not that big deal, it doesn't happen that much. Christians don't do that. Christians say, man, I blew it. Jesus, forgive me. Don't take your hand off my life. Help me conquer my sin. We, we are a repentant people. We never excuse sin, ever. We can't. Because all those excuses come from one place. And where is that place? From a demon. Ephesians chapter 2, look at the beginning. 
And you, and this is a glorious chapter about how the grace of God and how he saves sinners. We're not going to get that far because I want to talk about demons. We don't want to worship demons. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following, if you're in this room and you're just like, yes, yes, feed, feed me, tell me, feed me. That's because the Holy Spirit, you, you are alive in Christ. That's why you love this. If you love this, that's why. It's because the Holy Spirit has brought you from death into life. Amen? You were dead in the sins and trespasses which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. All the dead people walking around, excusing their sin, thinking their sin is okay. What's happening? We've got a, a value uh, for our staff and, and for our elders. We've got several of them. One of them is this is spiritual. Now what I don't want you to do is to get so obsessed with the supernatural that you become weird. <laughs> right? I mean, we know those people. Just every time they're walking towards you, you hear Doctor Who soundtrack in the background. But we do have to have eyes to see. Jesus said, he who has ears, let him hear. So in our staff and in our elders, when we're in conflict with a person, we know that we shouldn't be against that person, but rather we pray uh, against the forces that are, are setting themselves up inside a person that causes them to neglect God's word and go with their own thinking. It's a spiritual thing because it's the spirit of disobedience. It's the spirit, we know, of Satan himself, the prince of the power of the air. He's the one who influences all those who are dead in sins. Look, I am going to, let me, let's go to, before we go to Ephesians 6, go to uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4. This is not cherry picking verses. This is a continuous, constant theme from the fall of Satan until now. And listen, here's why, Brent, man, you're, you're really giving it to us. Demons have been around generations, thousands of years. They know that our hearts long for ourselves, for our pleasures, for our wants. They don't even have to try hard at what they do. I mean, can you believe some of the nonsense that people in this world are believing right now? How do, how do we get there? Demons have had generations to practice and, and prove their other narratives that sets, the, that sets itself up against God's word. They're crafty. They're clever. That's why the Bible refers to them as brood of vipers, snakes. They're sly. They make you think it's your thoughts when it is their influence upon culture causing you to test God, question God, grumble against God. Well, why can't I just do? They're all, it looks like they're having a great time. Why can't I just? Because God says. And by the way, they're not having all that good a time. 
They're in therapy three times a week. Trust me, I know. Where am I? First Timothy 4. Now the Spirit, listen, listen, listen. Now the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, expressly says that in latter times, some will, some will even, just like Israel, they were part of Israel, but turns out they really weren't part of Israel. How many of you know that person who grew up in church and claimed to be a Christian and got baptized and was a participant of the Lord's Supper? That doesn't follow the Lord anymore, doesn't care, completely rejects the gospel and church. It's going to happen. In later times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to sexual immorality, to idolatry. No, what's behind all that stuff? To deceitful spirits and the teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. You can't set yourself up against truth. It's like running into a tree. The tree's going to win. Truth wins. Light always conquers darkness. But so many love the darkness. Where does the darkness come from? From the pit of hell itself. Do not be deceived. I'll be happier if I can just be what I want to be, if I can just do what I want to do. You will not. Just like God's people were never happy with the idols that they chose for themselves, there's always among God's true people a return to God because those things never satisfy. Look at all the the people who transitioned early in this, this, this cult of body worship. They're coming back saying, you know what? I've, I've mutilated myself. I've ruined my body the rest of my life. And it didn't do what I thought it was going to do. They're coming out by the droves. Because this is a fad like so many other fads. Don't buy into the nonsense, young people. There is something that will anchor you for all of life. And it will always satisfy you. And it is God and his word and his gospel. Jesus is enough. Ephesians 6. Don't want you to worship demons and you don't have to. How do I know? Verse 10, chapter 6, Ephesians. Finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Just write down in the notes beside that Psalm 46. If you want to know the strength of the Lord, the power of his might, read Psalm 46. When the whole world is shaking, when it seems like the pillars holding this place up are falling apart, you can run to the Lord. He is strong. He can shelter you. He has done it before. He will do it again. Be strong in, the, be strong in your self-identification. It's not what it says. Be strong in the knowledge of your pastor. It's not what it says. Be strong in the Lord. Put on the whole 
armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Again, if we're not worshiping God, what ultimately are we worshiping? Satan and demons. What can we do to protect ourselves? Well, there's armor and it's not our armor. We're not to have confidence in ourselves, confidence in human armor. What armor are we to have confidence in? The armor of God himself, the the mighty one, the divine warrior. As Jesus is referred to in the Psalms, he has come, Ephesians 4. He has conquered all his enemies and the armor, his conquering victorious armor, he now lends to us. Our confidence is in the Lord and the armor that he's given this is how we withstand demons and the doctrine of demons and the ideology of demons ideology is a big thing it's a big deal and there are There are ideologies presenting themselves in our country today that are completely incongruent, incompatible with Christianity. Marxism is one of them. Mark it down. To be Marxist and Christian cannot work. Marxism is a godless system created by a godless man who wanted to be free from God and the Bible. And is it just the doctrine of Karl Marx? No, Karl Marx is just a puppet. It's a demon. When you read Ephesians 6, I don't have time. But let's read just verse 12. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We don't have to go out and start a blog against Karl Marx. Because Karl Marx ultimately is not the problem. But against rulers against authorities, cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil. Our fight is against the doctrine of demons themselves. So what is this armor that God gives? For the belt of what? Truth. Where does truth come from? It comes from the mouth of God. How? I mean, demons are they're, they're, they're stronger than we are. They're supernatural beings. How do we combat demons? Through truth that comes from God's mouth. It's why you have to speak. It's why you can't just let people run down the road believing the doctrine of demons. We have truth. And if truth doesn't smack you in the face on this planet, it's going to smack you in the face when you stand before Almighty God at the end. That's when all of our reasoning and all of our understanding and all of our ideology we realize is false and less than the truth that presents itself in God himself. All our excuses come crashing down to the floor. Sounds so good here. I don't really have to love my wife. I can go love anybody I want to love. Sounds so reasonable. But when you stand before truth, you realize you're wrong and there's a price to pay. Let's go back to the text. I want to get into righteousness and shoes shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. But let's finish this. If it doesn't come from God's word, if you don't remember anything else, if, it, if it's not found here, 
What is it? Doctrine of demon. So many churches. Ah, you know, leadership. I know what's in here. It's a man's job. Responsibility to lead his home, lead the church. But I think a woman can do it. What is that? It's the doctrine of a demon. It's demonic. Reversing the creative order and the roles that God has given. Male and female. It's demonic. It's not just, oh, well, some churches believe this, some churches believe that. No, some churches believe the truth and others are influenced by demons. It's important. I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake in the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Can we come up with a better plan? Are we smarter than he is? Are we stronger than he is? Can we outsmart him? Inconsistent, incongruent, incompatible. Light and darkness. Christ and Baal. Turn to 1 Kings chapter 18. We end with this. God's people, Israel. God's done all this work. He's done everything for them. What do they do once more? They rebel against him. We think our way. It's never worked for humanity yet. We got 3,500 years of history right here in our Bibles. It's never once worked when a man said, I think my way is better. So we get this king, Ahab, and his wife, Jezebel. That's become a type of a rebellious, deceitful, sexually immoral, seductive woman. Which, thank God we don't have anybody that fits that description in our world today. I mean, do you understand we're in a world where women wear see-through clothing in public? Thanks, Kardashians. That's Jezebel. That's from demons. Body's a temple. Should be treated with honor, respect, and true love, not seduction and lust. That's why some of you guys, you turn your computer off. It's not worth it, and it won't satisfy you. It'll only make you hungrier for perversion. Man, find a woman to love and honor and respect and enjoy forever. They rebel. One prophet stands up. And listen to me. Brent, this is just so unpopular. I mean, if you don't agree with the Bible, you're influenced by a demon. Do you know how that's going to go off at Thanksgiving when my family gathers? I do. Like Paul says, I bear the marks of Christ on my body. I've, I've had those un pleasant confrontations more times than most. But the truth is true every time in every way. And guess what? It's usually just one or two people that stands up in the midst of debauchery saying, proclaiming the truth. 
Elijah is up against 400 pagan prophets of Baal. He's by himself. And he calls out to Israel to remember their God. And you know what they do? They're sitting there with their mouths shut, not saying a thing. He is all alone. So Ahab sent to all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. We all know the story. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long? And here's the question. Here's the question for you and I. How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer a word. Now we know what happens in this story. Elijah says, okay, nobody wants to make a decision, so let's just have a little, let's just, let's just have a little uh, exhibition. All you prophets of Baal, cry out to your God. Build an altar, cry out to your God to send fire to light the altar from heaven. And if Baal's God, we'll all serve him. But I'm going to build an altar by myself, and I'm going to drench it in water. I'm going to pour gallons and buckets and jars of water. I'm going to build a tree. The whole thing's going to be saturated and wet. And I'm going to cry out to the Yahweh, the God of creation. And if he lights my altar, we're going to serve the Lord. And we know the story. The prophets of Baal, man, they're cutting themselves. They're doing all this stuff. I love what, I mean, Elijah, you got to love this guy. He begins to mock the prophets of Baal. The way that I like to mock a bunch of idiots in this world. <laughs> Just circle verse 27 real quick. Elijah mocked them saying, hey, maybe you should talk, maybe you should cry louder. I mean, he is a God, right? Either he is musing or maybe he's relieving himself. Maybe he's in the bathroom. Maybe he's playing Clash of Clans on the toilet. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he's asleep. Just cry louder so you wake him up. I mean, he is a God, right? All day long they do this. And of course, nothing happens. Elijah prays one prayer. And the altar is lit. And listen, as things were, things will be again. Everybody is going to realize at some point, whether in this life or when they stand before God, on that day, Every knee is going to bow. I mean, can't you just wait to see Bill Maher? You are God. That's what's going to happen. And, uh, uh, Alistair Begg, Anton LaVey, leaders of the Satanic Church, leaders of the, the, the Alphabet community, every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess the truth that Jesus is Lord. So the question is, what about you? What about your life? What about your family? As Joshua said at the end of his life, as for me and my house, we're not going to worship demons. We're not going to give an ear to demons. We're not going to believe what demons say. We're going to trust the name of the Lord, our God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you are good and your word is powerful. And as the ushers come forward to pass out the elements, Jesus, prepare our hearts.
God, in this moment, may fresh, repentant commitments happen in the hearts of your men and in the hearts of your women. Father, we choose you. We don't participate with demons. We participate with your perfect life and your sacrificial death that brings us salvation. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.